You know, uh, I've told you uh, before, one of the privileges of being a preacher is I get to make up words. I've made up a word to, to title the sermon, uh, Joyify. You know, there are a lot of made-up words that actually became real words. And so I want to start today by telling you some words that were made up by somebody and, and actually became common usage. One of those words, uh, this is one that drives people who are very precise about the English language crazy. And I actually thought it was a word. I mean, I, I, I thought it was fine with everybody. But it, apparently some people, it, it's like uh, fingernails on the chalkboard. Irregardless, irregardless, I don't see anybody like getting up to leave, good. <laughs> George W. Bush, you know, he would uh, kind of mangle the language. Great man, but he'd mangle the language. Misunderestimate. <laughs> When's the last time you misunderestimated something? Chillax. We use that word a lot, right? That's a combination of chill and Relax. It just feels good to say it, doesn't it? How about sniglet? A sniglet actually is a made-up word. And some people use that word, sniglet. Ginormous. You've heard that, right? Combination of enormous and giant. Ginormous. There's actually a show, a show I saw the other day on uh, the TV Food Network that is called Ginormous. Truthiness. I sound like a teenager there. My voice broke. Truthiness. <clears throat> what, is, what is truthiness? It's where something kind of sounds like it's true. You know, it, it kind of is squishy true, right? And then locavore. Locavore is somebody that eat, it makes a, a concerted effort to eat locally grown food, things that are just grown around them. And then finally, uh, you know, Shakespeare is credited with uh, creating 10,000 words. One of the words he created, uh, we use all the time, well, at least we think we want to be this, is frugal. Frugal. That was a made-up word. So, joyify. Why did I make up the word? I made up the word because I always try to think positively about whatever the Scripture says. And, and we are going to talk the next couple of weeks about how there are two things we can do that are negative towards the Holy Spirit living inside of us. When you become a Christian, uh, when you come and give your life to Christ, when you believe in Christ and, and you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, you are baptized into Christ, the Bible says you receive uh, the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so as the Spirit lives in us, there are two things we can do the Spirit uh, that we're commanded not to do, two things that, that displease God. And the first we're going to talk about today is grieving the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit means to bring great distress to the Holy Spirit, to hurt the Holy Spirit. This is serious business now, folks. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and, and He has a personality, emotions, just like all of us do. And what we get from that understanding, that, that word grieve meant there in Greek to with great emotion. It greatly distresses God. It greatly distresses His Spirit living in us when we do certain things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Just like it joyifies God when we do the opposite. It brings great pleasure to God if we are faithful to Him, if we choose the less traveled road, if we, instead of doing the things that grieve the Spirit, 
We, in, we are faithful to God in the way that we talk, in the way, the attitudes that we have. That's what we're talking about today. So that's what I mean by joyify. We all have the potential to either grieve or joyify, to please God with every day that we live. So two questions. First, what grieves the Spirit? What grieves the Spirit? I, I think you have to understand from looking at Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, the first thing that grieves the Spirit is rotten speech, rotten speech. <clears throat> the first part of verse 29 goes like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, Greek is a very uh, instructive language. As you read that in Greek, you know the first word is all or any or every that we translate in English. All, that's the first Greek word. The not doesn't come till later in the verse. Uh, so what he's saying, it's an unusual construction, I think, to bring to mind this fact. A lot of times we'll think, uh, maybe uh, I could slip a little bit. I, maybe I can say 80% positive and 80, 20% negative. Or maybe 90% positive, 20% negative. No, listen. The Greek word unwholesome, uh, we translate unwholesome or the, some versions say corrupt. It actually means rotten. It means decaying flesh. It, it means stuff that's been sitting out in the sun for a while. You know, nasty stuff. So I got this great surprise this morning when I came out. Uh, I came out of the house about 6.30 uh, to go, to come here and get ready. And uh, I, I come out down the steps and I hear over where our trash cans are this, this great racket. And then a little furry friend came around the corner to look at me, hiss at me, and then hump its back up and go back. A raccoon. A raccoon. So I thought, okay, that's fine. I, I keep walking to my car, and I hear the, another, the racket start again. So what's going on? Well, first I go in the garage to get a big stick. <laughs> and then I go over to where the garbage cans are. And we have this, uh, it's a problem of plenty we have several trash cans out there and and there's one that we put the trash in except we give Josh a chore sometimes taking the trash out and he finds the the trash can that we're not using at the time and puts it in there and so if I forget to check it it stays there for a while one of the trash cans had a bag that had been in there about three weeks and two of these raccoons had I guess lifted up the lid and gotten down into the trash can and couldn't get back out. So that's what I was hearing. They were scrabbling around trying to get out. Now, I thought, I ought to leave them in there. It serves them right. That's not the preacher thing to do, right? So, with my big stick in hand, I looked in the trash can. I see two raccoons. Looked like a teenager and a baby. You know, mama was the one that hissed at me. Teach her to hiss at me. I did a good thing for her little people. Uh, so I, I take the garbage can around to the grass and tip it out. And out go those little raccoons to raccoon home or wherever they go. Now, I've, I, I didn't deal with it this morning, but I've got to go home and deal with that trash that's been in there for three weeks. I just got a little little glance of it, a little whiff of it. And I can't smell very well because of the allergies I have, but I smelled this. 
the heat we've had the last few weeks with three-week-old trash, that's rotten. That's the kind of language that we're talking about. See, it's not just profanity. It's when you use your words to disparage. It's when you use your words to speak ill of. It's when you use your words to make a negative reference or inference on someone else that grieves the spirit. It's rotten speech. That's what we're talking about here. See, he follows up verse 29 with verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with a redemption. Do not grieve. He's just said, because this, this unwholesome, this rotten speech, it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's going to cause great distress to God. Proverbs has a lot to say about the power of our words. <clears throat> the tongue has the power. This is 1821. The, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who don't control it, uh, those who let it go, they'll, they'll face the consequences, both good and bad. Uh, Proverbs, <clears throat> verse 12, uh, excuse me, verse 18 of uh, 12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. They are very damaging. James talked about the potential power of the tongue in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. But it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. Think about it. It's probably humbling to think about. How have you used your tongue, your language in the last week? How have you spoken often to the people you spend the most time about, you care most about? How have you spoken to them? How have you spoken about others? See, it is so vital for us to understand and give the Holy Spirit all of us. And I think what grieves the Holy Spirit about us speaking in those ways, us speaking in ways that aren't positive, what, what grieves the Holy Spirit is we can do so much better. We can do so much better. Rotten speech, I think, comes from rotten attitudes. Rotten attitudes. And, and that's what we talk about in verse 31. Rotten, the connection with rotten speech, rotten, rotten attitudes. Again, rotten, decaying, dying. It says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, I want you to follow that pattern. Get rid of all bitterness, Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I think there's a, a distinct order there. I think there's a progression. Slander, the last word, actually is uh, talking bad about somebody uh, behind their back. Talking bad about them when they're not around. It's using our tongue destructively about somebody. But you see, before that, there's bitterness. Now, in Greek, this word means pointed or sharp. It refers to the pain that we feel when we think we've been mistreated. It speaks to a deep emotional reaction that we hold on to that keeps us from thinking clearly. If we dwell in bitterness long enough, it produces a wounded spirit and a hard heart. I wonder today, perhaps, are there some of us that are nursing bitterness? 
The second step, a second step, I think, is wrath, anger. But a word in Greek that originally meant to snort. The flaring of the nostrils in anger, that's kind of where it came from. It's hot-tempered anger that explodes under the slightest provocation. We use that same image when we speak of somebody being all fired up, all steamed up, uh, with kind of uh, fire flaming out of their ears, smoke coming out of their ears, right? That leads to a more emotional, emotionally seated anger. This word speaks of a settled condition of the heart. Do you know anybody that seems to be angry all the time? They go to work angry or school angry. Uh, They shower angry. They eat angry. They watch TV angry. They go to bed angry. See some of you nodding. It's not pleasant to be that person. It's not pleasant to be around those folks. But that anger then expresses itself in brawling clamor. Uh, That's that fourth step. That word means to raise your voice. It means to get loud and noticeable. It includes all kinds of verbal and physical intimidation. It has the idea of shouting back and forth during a quarrel. You know how that happens? Uh, We, Beth and I and Josh went down to uh, Harry Truman State Park yesterday. Boy, that's a pretty place down near Warsaw. And uh, even at 100 degrees, it was nice to get into the water and uh, it, once you got across the sand, you know, barefooted, that's not fun. But get into the water. Uh, and we, we had the, the fortune of being near some young people. And these young people, it, there's a prominent sign there that says uh, there is to be no alcohol at this beach. Uh, well, I think they didn't pay attention. Because we got there and we were in the water and, and with our floats and stuff. And, um, and it was fine. You know, things were cool. Well, then they started disagreeing about something now this is after they've been drinking out of their koozies i'm sure it was pepsi they've been drinking out of their koozies for a while and uh they got louder and louder and their language got more profane and more profane that's kind of what i think of in this brawling this kind of where you know a, a discussion can start off civil and then it's it raises you know one gets more angry and it it turns up and uh, it's, it's the very opposite of Proverbs 15.1 where a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's the part we see in this word. And then slander is the final step. Paul uses this word here to describe a form of evil speaking. It's making false accusations about someone or offering vague insinuations that make someone look worse than they are. Boy, you turn on the the television news channels these days, you see slander all the time, don't you? It's why I have decided to take a news fast. I didn't watch it very much anyway, but I don't pay attention to it. I try to read the newspaper and keep up, but I don't pay attention. I don't want to see it. You see, what Paul understands here is that what it refers back to what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's a connection between rotten speech and rotten attitudes or rotten hearts, you see. And so if we want to be pleasing, if we want to joyify the spirit, we're going to have to, to have a heart check, 
We're going to have to have a speech check or a mouth check. And the heart comes first. The heart's where ultimately that speech is decided is what Jesus says. It's either going to be positive and upbuilding or it's going to be negative. Depending upon that attitude. Depending on where you are in your walk. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. It's one of Beth's favorite verses. Above all else. In other words, this is the first priority. You should guard, you should pay attention to your heart. You should pay attention to that inner core of who you are. And God wants to take over that inner core, but he, he is going to let us surrender that heart to him. Today, perhaps, if you realized that you have some guilt about your words that you spoke, some if you know your heart is not right, maybe you have some bitterness or some anger. Maybe you're prone to, to brawling verbally, to, to argumentative speech. It's your heart that God needs to take over. Gordon McDonald was a minister for many years. Early in his ministry, he spent some time in Japan working with some missionaries. And he was walking down the street one day in Japan with one of his older friends. And they saw another man who was both of their friends, a mutual friend. And, and when the man passed by, McDonald uh, said to his friend something snarky, so, something kind of nasty. You know how we do sometimes. It's usually, you know, when we say, well, I really like so-and-so, but whatever follows after the but is usually not positive, not a good thing. He said that to this, and the older man just stopped walking and turned to him, and he said, a man who truly loves God would not talk about a friend like that. McDonald says, you talk about being floored. He said over the years of ministry that followed, he thought about those words. He reckoned no less than 10,000 times. A man who truly loves God would not talk about a friend like that. God cares about his children. He cares about his children's relationship with the other children. And what we need to get is this is irregardless. I'm using that made up word. This is irregardless of the provocation that you receive, it's irregardless of what that person has done to you. You have a choice to whether you're going to speak ill of them or not. You have a choice to zip it. If you can't, my dad always used to say, if you can't find anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And he's right. That's rotten. It brings a stink to God's nostrils. It grieves the Holy Spirit in us when our hearts are rotten, when our speech is rotten. So that leads me to my second question. What pleases the Spirit? What pleases, what joyifies the Spirit? And I'm going to go quick because I think we understand this. I don't think it's a matter of, of the head, what I'm talking about today. I think we understand what pleases God. It's just the heart. We have to, to allow Him to take over the heart, the control center. What pleases him? Fresh speech. If it's rotten speech, 
that grieves him, fresh speech. That is, uh, speech is full of life. It said to us in the second part of verse 29, but speak only what is helpful. Remember all your words, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So I would change my dad's words. It's not just, if you can't find anything nice to say, don't say anything. It, It is instead, do your best to find something good to say. Let me give you a little, a little uh, reminder, a little flow that, that kind of guides me sometime when I'm, I'm trying to police the way I talk. Every word, all good, all grace, all the time. Not, don't say I can 10% of the time say whatever I'm thinking. Don't say, do you notice how people use this as an excuse? Well, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just being honest. It's still not beneficial. It can be destructive. It can be rotten. Every word, all good, all grace, all the time. What a breath of fresh air that would be if God's people, just the people in this room, we followed that. Every word, all good, all grace, all the time. And I think you're going to know what I have to say next. Fresh attitudes. Fresh attitudes is what God needs from us. Look at what verse 32 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind. Kind, that Greek word means to be good to somebody even if they've provoked you. Compassionate, you know, the ancients thought the the bowels were the seat uh, the, uh, of emotion, you know, the, of great emotion. It basically, it's saying uh, feel with great feeling. Act with great feeling to one another. Uh, forgiving each other. We've talked a lot about forgiveness here, but those are the kind of attitudes that make a difference. Those are the kind of attitudes that can make a big difference. You know, I was reading recently about Ronald Reagan at his funeral service. George H.W. Bush spoke, and he said these words, As his vice president for eight years, I learned more from Ronald Reagan than from anyone I encountered in all my years of public life. His voice breaking with emotion, he said, I learned kindness. We all did. I learned about principle. I learned about kindness. I learned about humor. Ronald Reagan was unfailingly courteous, courteous to the people around him, thoughtful to the little guy the elevator operator, the butler at the White House. Bush revealed personal moments of, that happened during Reagan's presidency, such as the time when he was a hospital patient after the assassination attempt on him in 1981. He was found on his knees with a towel in that gown that doesn't cover anything, wiping up water off the floor. He said, why did you do that? He worried that his nurse would get in trouble. Bush said, the good book says, humility goes beyond, before honor, and our friend had both, and who could not cherish such a man? His longtime aide and friend, Michael Deaver, said, he respected people and treated everyone the same, whether you were a king or a plumber. He was kind and compassionate to friends and foes alike. Tip O'Neill, who was a longtime speaker of the House and a Democrat, he and Tip O'Neill would often be found laughing. And having a good time together, even though they were political enemies. That's 
a kind of fresh speech and fresh attitude that only can come from faith. I read an essay about Ronald Reagan's faith, and in it it had these words. Seventy days into his presidency, Reagan and his press secretary, Jim Brady, and two members of his protective detail were struck by an assassin. They were shot outside the Washington Hilton Hotel. The bullet that struck Reagan narrowly missed his heart and lodged in his lung. It was 12 days before the recovering Reagan began to write in his diaries again. He kept diaries of his time while he was president. (coughs) In his first day back in his diary, he wrote this. Whatever happens now, I owe my life to God and will try to serve him in every way I can. The entry for a couple days later for April 11th, 1981, contains a much longer statement about what went through the president's mind as he lay on the operating table at George Washington Hospital. It says a great deal about the nature of his faith and its impact on him as well as others. This is what he wrote. Listen, getting shot hurts. Still, my fear was growing because no matter how hard, how hard I tried to breathe, it seemed I was getting less and less air. I focused on that tile ceiling and prayed. But listen to this. But I realized I couldn't ask for God's help while at the same time I felt hatred for the mixed up young man who had shot me. Isn't that the meaning of the lost sheep? We are all God's children and therefore equally beloved by him. I began to pray for Ronald Reagan's on the operating table. I began to pray for his soul and that he would find his way back into the fold. We all have an immense capacity every day to fill the world around us with rotten speech and attitudes. Or if you let the Holy Spirit take over, fresh speech, fresh attitudes, what will your choice be? Father, today I I pray as we think about these things, uh, these have not been words of condemnation, but hopefully they have been words of conviction. We each can slip, we can get sloppy with our tongues, we can allow bitterness and anger to, to stay in our hearts. I pray today is a time of of catharsis maybe for us. A time where we come back to you and and ask you to clean us up. Ask you, Father, to take us over. I pray that we'll get out of the way and let your spirit lead us this week. Let your spirit speak through us. Let your spirit act through us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.